What did you have for dinner, Belau? What did you break your fast on? Mad Max? Is that the name of the place? It is. It is. That Mad is definitely Max. not right behind the Story Factory like you said it was. I did not say it was behind the Story Factory. You said it was yeah. around the corner. Like it was, you pointed. It is around the corner. And the point implied that it was behind the Story Factory, but it was on Church Street, which is not behind the Story Factory. No I'm sorry I misled you. Kevin, welcome back to Badgered. Hello, we're back. Yes. This is our pilot for today, and I would like to start off by acknowledging that Kevin and I are working on Daragland. I would like to pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and I would very much like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal people who are listening to this show today, and all the Aboriginal people who are alive today. This was, is, and will always be Aboriginal land, and we would like to recognize that sovereignty was never ceded, and that we are very blessed to get to work on this land today. An acknowledgement of country is the time for you to set your intentions as well. It's a really important part of making an acknowledgement. So why are you on this land and what are your intentions? So Kevin and I's intentions today is to share stories, which is kind of the main crux of why we started Badgered and why we record these episodes every fortnight, is to be sharing stories, to share ideas, to share our experiences, and hopefully hear from you guys as well. Kevin, how are you feeling tonight? Um... I'm tired after our workshops, but I am now rejuvenated just hearing you say that. Oh, I'm rejuvenated staring at your face, Kevin. I love how these episodes, I'm always like, yo, let's record after we do that like two-hour class. What do you reckon? Know, let's right? jump out, you know, we'll eat for 20 minutes and then we'll yeah, just, just record. right back into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job badgering you, Kev. What do you reckon? Yeah, the fact that you still managed to get me to come back after a one-month break I know. It's like pretty impressive on your part. Story Boys is a pilot that we wanted to try out where Kevin and I discuss the stories that matter to us. And more importantly, and more specifically, the stories that influenced us as we were growing up. And when we talk about stories, there are multiple different forms that those stories can come in. We can talk about uh, the books that we used to read when we were younger, even though I know I wasn't a huge reader when I was younger. I don't know if you were. Um, and the movies that we would watch, the TV shows, the video games that we would play, the comics that we'd read, heck, like the commercials that we used to watch on TV, all the stories that we would take in and how they kind of stuck with us and hung with us as we are now adults kind of living as adults in the world. And that's what this episode is about. So Kev, do you want to talk about what story you wanted to chat about because this was your idea to chat about this one i had a list but you had something else that i just had to agree with so what's the story uh, to be fair i had my doubts about this so it's only going ahead because you also agreed so when you agreed but i started having my doubts so really <laughs> this is your idea um and you know the doubts i had because you raised very good uh good concerns about that that maybe we can go into it or not uh, it doesn't matter but um, so one of the stories, or in this case, a, a cartoon series that I really loved growing up that I find a, which I would consider an integral part of my childhood is Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh, I just love hearing the name of that. Yeah, right. And for me, even quite recently, I feel, um, this has been like, has been sticking around with me lately because um, earlier this year or last year, I rewatched um, the series. Oh, really? Um, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Uh, it's on Netflix. 
um, both Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, but we might not be going too much into that today. And as a result, um, I was, you know, searching up uh, Avatar stuff on Instagram. And it's one of those things where if you like a post or two, that it suddenly just keeps like popping up in your feed. <laughs> the um the internet algorithm the starts internet stalking algorithm, you. Yes. Um. So now, like, whenever I go to my explore page on on Instagram, like, it's there's a constant feed of avatar stuff, which I'm not complaining about, <laughs> but it's kind of just it's always there now. So for us talking about Avatar today, we're going to be focusing, like you said, on Avatar: The Last Airbender, and maybe not so much on Legend of Korra, but we might mention some stuff. This is a disclaimer to anyone who is listening to this. And for whatever reason, you haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender. First and foremost, pause this podcast and go watch the entire series. Mm. I don't care what you got on. I don't care what job you have. I don't care what responsibilities you've got. (laughs) Just like you could use my Netflix. Come on and watch all of Avatar. Because we're going mad spoilers in this entire discussion. Sure, yeah. So it's like spoilers the entire way through for every single thing that happens in Avatar The Last Airbender. Even though you watched it more recently than I did. And we can get into that in a bit. So I don't remember huge chunks of it. Before I was looking at characters, I was like, who the heck is that? Mm. Um, But there will be spoilers and there may be some light spoilers for Legend of Korra as well, depending on how much we get into it. How old were you when you first watched Avatar The Last Airbender? The first episode you ever watched, do you remember? Um, I think I was in year eight or year nine. Mm. Um, So that would have put me at around, what, 12, 13, 14, around that age when I first saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's not much of an age gap between you and I. No. I, I would have watched it probably either the year it came out, mm. the year that um, episodes started coming out, or the year after, because Australia is a little bit behind. Yeah. And I would have watched it, I think, on the tail end of me being in year six. Yeah. So I was 10 years old because I started school early. Yeah. So I was, I was a bit younger than you. And... For you, when you first started watching Avatar, because I've got a list of questions here in our show notes, Mm. I'm kind of just going to move through them because I think they're a a nice way, one, to frame our discussion around the show, and two, if we ever continue this Story Boys concept, so if this pilot is successful and we would like to revisit it, I think it's a nice structure to at least start working towards. So what initially drew you to Avatar The Last Airbender? What was the like pull, the thing that you first got interested in when you were watching it as a kid? I think it was purely by chance, right? So back then, for maybe one or two years, like I had Foxtel. Oh my gosh, fancy. Yeah, right? Woo! For someone living in Riverwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so w- w- for that period of two years when I you, did You have... didn't just have a coat hanger on the top of your TV? <laughs> no, no. Oh no, my no. gosh. Uh, for, the, for, those, for that period I, when I had Foxtel, you know, um, The Last Airbender was shown on Nickelodeon. Yep. And you know... I mean, there would have been a schedule, but back then it was just like kind of me flipping through the cartoon yep. uh, channel, seeing what was on. And just by chance, I'm, I'm probably making things up, by the way, but this is how I remember <laughs> that, you know, just by chance that um, Avatar came on. Yep. And initially it was just that, I mean, what the hell? These people controlling the elements using martial arts? It's freaking sick yeah it's badass right exactly um and but the problem was then was um, i would have like watched it you know um halfway through season one or something yep and back then there was no way to re-watch episodes and yeah. sometimes uh the show would go on a break for a while so you wouldn't watch it again for another couple of months and you never know when it would come back on so when i first saw it 
um, back when I was in year eight or year nine, it was very sporadic. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing through until I was maybe in year 10 or so mm. when one of my friends um, lent me the, the DVD box set. Yeah. And I spent the weekend like binge watching before binge watching was a thing <laughs> just so I could return the DVD um, back on time. Yeah. Um, and back then I didn't know why, um, what it was about Avatar that I just love so much and kind of looking back on it now and I was like sort of in preparation of for the show today, kind of just reflecting on why that show made yep. an impact. I think that's become more apparent and maybe that's something we can talk yep. more in a bit. I mean, yeah, that's kind of why we want to talk about it is to think about the effect that it's had on us now as adults. And my experience being first introduced to the show was really similar to yours. It would have just been, I think, on like regular morning cartoons. And it was that really frustrating experience that I know heaps of people relate to where you you watch the episodes in the morning and they kind of repeat the same episodes or at least the same arc. And for me, the, the arc that they kept repeating was that first instance when Zuko is chasing Aang. Yeah. And I don't think they had met yet at that point. And Zuko's in this like riverboat and they're, and they're, they're trying to catch up with him for the first time. Yeah. So they first heard about the Avatar. They're trying to get to him. And the episodes would go that entire arc until Zuko is just about to meet him. And then for whatever reason, maybe I would go on school holidays or maybe like, you know, the show that they were showing would change. And then when it came back, it was like the start of that arc again. So I was living in this weird groundhog day of like Zuko, of Zuko <laughs> just, just like Aang. about to chase, like chasing Aang, about to catch him. And then he's back to where he started. And as a kid, you're like, you just accept it. You're like, there's, all right, the only time I'm ever going to see this badass show is when it happens to be on TV and maybe sometimes I have to leave early because i got to go to school. Yeah. And that was my experience with Avatar for years. That was like my introduction to it. I would just sit, like sporadically see weird stuff from the show. And then later on, I saw like Zuko having a conversation with Aang because like they had skipped <laughs> ahead. It's like, what the heck? They're talking? Um, so that was, that was really, really confusing to me. And it was not until after I finished high school. So I was at university at the time where I had the chance to sit down and watch the entire series from start mm. to finish. And I think I have to double check the dates. I think at that point, Legend of Korra either wasn't out yet at all, or maybe there was only like an episode or like a season. Yeah. So there was no Legend of Korra. So I was just watching it and binge watching all of it essentially as an adult from start to finish yeah and man i friggin loved it like i was w what 17 mm. and when, when i finished school and watching it as a 17 year old i'm like this is everything i want badass cartoons to be and this is what it is um i think on that note i i, I, I just want to quickly mention as well that i think avatar is the only tv series that i've rewatched multiple times like really I, i've not done that with actually i've done that with one other TV show. Can I guess what it is? And just it was just by chance as well. All right, um, one other TV show that you've rewatched is it The Office? No, but very close. Is it Community? Oh, actually, it's sort of have. Yeah. Well, if we jump back to Avatar, then yes. what made you rewatch it four or five times? Because you said you watched mm. it once when you were in year ten, all the way through. Cause all you, the way through, yeah. Because you borrowed that from a friend. And then since then, you would have watched it three more times? Yes, because I think I would have watched it once after I left school. Yeah. 
and I think I watched it again when it was announced Legend of Korra was coming up. Oh, so it was right. Like, you know, just watching it. And then my next time was like earlier this year, like last year, yep. watching it again. Um, and maybe just quickly, for those who aren't familiar, do you want to give a quick summary about what is Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh my gosh, you're going to put this on me. Absolutely. <laughs> um, water, earth, fire, air. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, basically, it's, uh, I, I want to say, um, fantasy story that is set in a world that isn't our world, or at least from what we can see is not our world. And it's heavily influenced, I think, by um, anime and Japanese culture, but it is not an anime. And that's something that confused me heaps when I was a kid. I just went, oh, this is like another Dragon Ball Z, but it totally isn't. And essentially the story is that there are four main nations in the world. And each of those nations have a different bending ability. And that ability is to control one of the elements. So there's water, earth, fire, and air. And there is also an avatar who is the only person, and oh my gosh, does that get confusing later on, especially in Legend of Korra, who is the only person who can bend multiple elements. All four elements. All four, so water, earth, fire, air. And that person is the person who's supposed to bring balance to the world. And a hundred years ago, from when the story is set, that avatar vanished. And I use that word because that's what they say in the trailer. They would watch it every morning on my way to school. And um, then there was an imbalance. And there's a whole story and backstory of the Air Nation essentially being systematically removed from the world. Because the story told that the next avatar was going to be one of the Air people, one of the Air Nomads. And um, that is Aang, our main protagonist. So he disappears for 100 years and the start of the show is um, two siblings from a water tribe, Katara and Sokka, and they uh, find Aang frozen in ice. And uh, it's essentially like Captain America, but cooler because he can control the wind. And they release him and the whole story is trying to get away from the Fire Nation. And the Fire Nation is trying to hunt down Aang because they want to be... They want, to, they want to kill the Avatar, and they want to be in control of essentially everything. How's that? That's a pretty good summary. I mean, yeah. pretty good for the last time I watched it being like <laughs> I was like 17 years old. <laughs> so I didn't realize that you had seen it so many times since then. Mm. Um, I know this is skipping ahead a little bit, but is, is it the kind of show that on rewatching it, you notice new things? Or is it kind of like you rewatch it just because you kind of enjoy going through the same motions? I think for, for that... Uh latter reason just I just the storytelling is so great and I think what keeps me coming back to it is just the way that the the world is fleshed out and built in that story is that even though like uh, putting the main story aside of Aang right just the world itself is so rich with history yep. and, and law that you could really kind of lose yourself kind of ex- exploring any of these little moments, whether it be, you know, uh, the the creatures that inhabit yep. that inhabit this world or the different uh, nations or countries that, yeah. that are in this world. And when we talk about world building, because you and I are both about creative writing, like we're creative writing teachers, we're writers ourselves. And strangely, one of the things that really stuck with me when I watched the show when I was 10 and still resonated with me when I was 17 and now as an adult is exactly what you described with the world building, but really specifically the stuff around the animals. Mm. And the thing that 
um, and we, we teach this in our fantasy writing classes often, but that idea of taking things that exist in the real world and meshing them up with other things to create hybrids is a really great way to create stories and worlds that are grounded in reality, but still feel brand new. Yeah. And often the animals in Avatar are like mixes between a bear and an owl or, you know, like a bison and something that can fly. Or a koala and a sheep. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of weird, strange twisting of reality is something that compels you to want to keep watching, if for no other reason, to be like, well, I want to know what the next animal is. Mm, and it's that like joy that you find in Pokemon where you're like, oh, what's this next thing that you're going to locate? But for Avatar, for me, I felt like it was that with all the fauna in the story, yeah. the flora, like the different landscapes that they would encounter and the plants that they would find. But also the people and the culture and the different traditions and the islands that they visited. There was so much rich history behind every place that they visited and every conversation that they had with people that it felt real and it felt like you belonged in that world, mm. which was really, really special to me. When you watched it, let's go with the first time you watched it all the way through. Yeah. So you as a year 10 student. Yeah. And then when I talk about myself, it's me as a high school graduate. Wasn't there anything about avatar the last airbender that you didn't like was there anything in it that you kind of just went it can be character related plot related and you've watched it a few times since then is there anything that you don't enjoy when it comes to the show because we've been like singing its praises for the last 20 minutes um i mean i have to really think hard about this but as far as I, i mean i think there are definitely moments where you are annoyed at character decisions but i think that it's not so much that the writing is bad but it's that the writing is so good that it convinces you to be annoyed at a character because it's yeah. it's a legitimate legitimate decision that they would make yeah um but in terms of like you know actual critiques of the show i think i'm way into deep to be able to do that <laughs> and also like i am good you just like talking about that just reminded me that I used, um, I used one of the episodes as, of Avatar as a text to mention in my HSC English exam. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Do you remember which episode? I can't remember which episode. Wait. So it was it was Year Twelve English, yeah. and you used it as a related text. Yeah. Yeah. If, and it was like I think back then I was doing the thing was belonging. So yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. Avatar was kind of like ripe. For there was just so oh many my gosh, you yeah. Could, you pick, you could pick like out. Aang is a main protagonist who's someone whose entire people has been essentially wiped, wiped out, out. Yeah. and he's the only person of his kind, and he's trying to find his way, and he's also the center of attention because he's like there's so many things about identity that would make it a perfect. I mean, in taking text. that, you could apply it to kind of like almost any of the characters in the show, and there's something about belonging you, you could have explored with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I think so. Anything I didn't like, no. To the point that I liked it so much, I used it as a related text in my HSC exam. <laughs> you, you brought it into the ugly sphere of education and yeah. it survived um, unscathed. That thing around characters making decisions and you getting frustrated with them, but it not being bad writing, 100% resonated with me as well. Like often I felt like, if we think about Aang, for example, he would he would a lot of the time act in a way that I felt like wasn't, becoming big air quotes of a hero of a protagonist and even as a kid but also as an adult when i would watch it 
you, the show constantly found ways to remind you that one, Aang is a child. He's a very young boy. I think at the start of the story, is he like 12 or something? Yeah. And his entire people have been wiped out. So his entire culture has been eradicated. And those two things kept coming up in the story. And every time you were like, what's wrong with him? Why doesn't he just embrace being the avatar and save the world? You go, well, actually, he's a human like everyone else. And that nuanced approach to a protagonist, I feel like for me, that was probably the first time I ever had seen a story where the character was multifaceted in that way. The main character was multifaceted and all the supporting cast were as well. Mm. And it's like these characters make decisions that annoy you so much, but just because of the way they were able to flash, flesh out the backstory, you're like, God damn it. I mean, yeah, I can understand why you did yep. that. But was, and, I think, and a perfect example of that as well um, is during the kind of Barsing Say arc yep. where um, Zuko and Iroh, you know, they've, they've created this new life as, you know, as refugees from the Fire Nation. They've created a, they've got a tea store. Everything's on the up and up. But like the moment, you know, Azula comes back and, yep. and Zuko has to make the choice. Am I going to side with my family who have done these terrible things or am I going to side with um, the good guys, right? Yeah. And like, he sides with the bad guys. He sides with the bad guys and you're so disappointed in that moment but you also understand why Zuko made yeah. that decision. And also it makes his kind of redemption arc as the show goes on that much more impactful yeah. because you know and you get to see how difficult the struggle is for him. And he, he genuinely grows as a character and you believe it. You see him struggling. He's not instantly like, and now I am a good guy. It's like, I have all this trauma that I'm living with. And I have all these choices that I have to live with. And this huge history and responsibility weighing on me. And this like sense of self that's been built around the negative impacts of his father, of his culture, of his like status in his nation. And all that, he battles with it every single day. And his, his person in his corner is, I think, a character that you and I absolutely love and adore which is Uncle Iroh. And he is just an absolute star in Avatar. He's like the uncle that every single person wished they had. Absolutely. And for me, uh, what you said before about how the characters made a decision that frustrated you, but then because you got to see their background, you come to understand them. That element of storytelling is often done really poorly in some anime that Mm. I've watched. And often the example of that is you have like a villain in an episode of a story and you're like, wow, this guy's really annoying. And then you know that that villain very soon is about to get defeated because there will be a flashback. (laughs) And you're like, okay, you get to see them as a sad little kid. And here's the thing that made them the person that they are. So you feel bad for them when they lose. And it's very ham-fisted. But I honestly cannot think of of a single time in Avatar The Last Airbender where that happened. Mm. And it's almost like the reverse happened for Uncle Iroh. Yeah. In that whole Tales of Ba Sing Se, where you see him as a retired or even, what's the word? Like excommunicated yeah, general. Like a, a disgraced general. Absolutely. And you see him as this beautiful character who's trying to do right by his nephew. And, and we'll get to that uncle-nephew relationship in a little bit when we talk about how this story affected us as adults. But you, you see him as this disgraced general who then when we get the flashback for him, we get to see why he is the beautiful person he is now. Why the difficulties he'd lived through created the character that we get to see interacting with Zuko. 
And it's a subversion of that expectation of like, you see the reason why the villain isn't actually that bad. Mm. And instead you see the way that Uncle Iroh was a human like everyone else who made mistakes, who had pride and who had to go through something really, really difficult, which was the loss of his son to um, reconcile his his like view of the world with how much he cared for the people around him and how much he cared for his family. So that when he saw what happened to Zuko at the hands of the Fire Lord, he was like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to break away from my culture and break away from tradition because I want to support someone who's important to me. So, man, Uncle Iroh is like an absolute rock star in my book. Mm. Next question? Yeah. All right. I asked you about things that you might not have liked as much when you were watching it, either in that first run through and when you've revisited it. Is there anything in the show that has stuck with you the most? And for this, it can be a specific character. It can be a single moment in the series. It can be a plot. It can be a line. It can be a setting. What's the thing when you think of Avatar that sticks with you the most? I'm going to give two, two answers. One is kind of a cop-out. The first answer is just the story. I mean, there's no other way around it that it's just a perfectly told story from beginning to end mm. in such a way that it has such a rewatchability that, what, 10 years later, I still find myself being drawn back to it. And the, there's probably specifics on why I keep getting drawn back to it. I'm not too sure why. The second answer, which I think that maybe that answers that about, about what affects me the most is there are so many themes explored in Avatar and it's it's done so well. And you can also maybe like help me out with some of them, but there is one that kind of sticks out for me, which I'll talk about at the end. So, I mean, for a show that's meant for, for kids, mm. right? I think it does so well kind of to introduce ideas and concepts such as that of, of, of war, of colonialism, of environmentalism, mm. of, uh, of genocide, genocide, just being able to introduce these, these such heavy topics yep. for, for young people. And, and to be able to do that, do that well, I, I think is quite impressive and, and an achievement. And for me, one of those ideas and concepts explored that I think kind of, kind of sticks with me is that of family, whether it's one where it's discussing a family of your own choosing. Mm. So kind of the path that say Toph or Zuko goes through yep. or being able to um, explore what we would consider uh, traditional family relationships, like such as that of Katara and, and Sokka and, and this, exploring so many different ideas of what family can be. Um, and I think for me, that's, that, that is what kind of sticks with me the most. Yep. It's funny, like looking back at the show for me, I think there's so many individual quotes or quotations from Uncle Iroh mm. that are really quotable and like memeable. Like, oh, this is the thing that he said and look how sweet it is or look how much wisdom there is in it. And I want to be able to say that Iroh is the thing that stuck with me the most, but this is going to sound really strange. There's a specific like episode yep. that I think about all the time when I think about Avatar The Last Airbender and it's the first instance of bloodbending. Oh, yeah. And I really, really think that it's because it's the time that there's a huge tonal shift in the cartoon. Yeah. So you're watching it 
And yeah, there's the backdrop of like, here's this Fire Nation who've killed all these people, but you don't see any of that happen. And yeah, Aang's entire family has been murdered, but uh, he's a monk anyway. And he was just like living in a school and he didn't have anyone really important to Mm -hmm. him. And it's all relatively lighthearted. Here are these like young kids getting into shenanigans. Here's this like evil fire person who's trying to chase him. But for me with the bloodbending, it was Katara encountering another waterbender. Hama. Yes. Oh, yeah. You've really watched the show. (laughs) Who, For Katara, she was someone who was trying to become a better waterbender. Because for her, I think it was like bound up in her culture. And as a kid watching that, you get that sense. You're like, this is important to her identity. So she's hungry for any new knowledge. And she encounters this bloodbender and the tone shifts to show you how ugly and scary the misuse of power can be. And how one of our characters that we've become um, come attached to, Katara, uh, is met with that choice of like, I can be this this like really evil, really conniving, really scary bloodbender. And I'm just a kid, but I have this power in me. And how am I going to use that? And Katara makes a decision, both in that episode and every single episode following, to be someone who is compassionate and empathetic and caring, but also strong in her own way. And as a character, she was always so incredibly strong, but not in the way that many male characters in cartoons like this are strong. Mm. She had this awesome strength that was supportive of the people around her, but also really definite in the way that she wanted to carve out her identity. And in terms of the cartoons I watched when I was a kid, man, there were not a lot of female characters like that. Like that yeah. was totally excellent. And I think that's why the bloodbending arc stuck with me because I got to see Katara as like the animal part of my brain saw, started to see her as a threat. Mm. Like this lady is scary. But at the same time, she's taking that power and she's using it to help people and not because she thinks she's going to get credit for it. It's because the people around her are people she cares about. And that was really, really fantastic in my book. And just to, um, I guess, for the listeners who might have not watched Avatar before, to provide a bit more context as well behind that, let's call it the bloodbending arc, Mm -hmm. as to why also that, uh, for me, that arc was done so well, is that for the bloodbender, and just for um, context, bloodbending, what is bloodbending? So waterbenders can manipulate water. They can move water with their mind, often like using a style of martial arts that's similar to Tai Chi. It's one of the really fantastic things about Avatar that it has many influences from many different cultures. And for the waterbenders, it's this kind of Tai Chi-like movement, even though the people are Inuit people. So it's a really nice, interesting kind of coalescence of cultures. And waterbenders can move water, but obviously there's water in the blood. So is there any reason why they wouldn't be able to just move blood around? Mm. And their abilities are tied to the moon and the phases of the moon. And bloodbending is only possible when there is a certain phase of the moon. And it gives those waterbenders the ability to move the blood inside someone's body. Which is like creepy as heck. And also, can we just like talk the the sound it makes? Yeah. Like this is a children's cartoon and you can hear blood moving against the flesh and organs. And And even the way they animate the movements, I'm like, oh, this is just not right. Yeah. And this is a children's cartoon that's shown in the mornings, but it wasn't done in like an overly grotesque way. But it was done disturbing. in a yeah, it's a measured, disturbing way yeah. to show you and and to kind of lend itself to the narrative, 
which is what we talk about often with our students who are writing. We're like, yes, you can write gore and like creepy stuff, right? You can, you can write stuff where people get hurt and you can write violent things, but what is your intention and what is your purpose? Are you doing it because you think this is the way that your story is going to become exciting or is it measured? And are you thinking about your audience's reaction and how it lends itself to the message you're trying to share? Which is why the bloodbending arc was wow, chef's kiss. Um, and feel free to jump in again at any time to kind of clear things up. Um, but for that also, for that arc, uh, it's pretty much um, the gang, right? Um, they meet this this woman who happens to be a waterbender, but she's living in the Fire Nation. Um, and then throughout the arc or the episode, um, it's revealed that the bloodbender has come from the same the same village as uh, Katara yep. and Sokka. And she was um, pretty much a, a victim of the Fire Nation's imperialism, where through a series of raids, the Fire Nation would uh, continually invade the water tribe yep. and, and kidnap waterbenders to imprison because they didn't want anyone um, to, to... Organize a resistance. Organize a resistance. And um, while and Hammer, or the bloodbender, was one of the last waterbenders from the water tribe to be imprisoned. Um, and then, of course, it turns out that Katara is actually the last waterbender of the water tribe. But during um, Hammer's imprisonment was where she learned to hone her skills of bloodbending. And essentially, I guess, like the whole premise of that that arc or that episode is that Hammer says that it's kind of Katara's duty to to learn this skill of bloodbending to fight back against yep. um, the Fire Nation. And then there's this really kind of interesting questions posed where you know what Hama is doing is wrong but her reasons are yeah. justified as a result of this war as a result of this um imperialism yeah. and i think that's kind of like an, another kind of like a, a beautiful like you know cherry on top when i talk about how how um the writers of this show are able to to uh discuss and explore these such broad things with a young audience because essentially the actions of the Fire Nation created her as a villain. Like the things that she had experienced were directly the result of the war that they waged. And she was one of the first instances in the show where you had a, a villain, a main villain of an arc, but it wasn't anyone from the Fire Nation. Mm, it was yeah. someone, it, was, it wasn't only like, it wasn't an earthbender or something. It was someone from the same tribe as Katara and Sokka. Mm. So they were like, this is essentially someone who should be family, but you can see how war twists a person, Yeah, yeah. which is really, really interesting. I've got another thing that really stuck with me that, mm. that I'd want to talk about if we've got some time to discuss it. Yeah, yeah and I've actually got one or two popped up in my Cool. Head so, well. so my next one that really stuck with me is Aang's responsibility as the Avatar was to first and foremost learn how to bend all the elements. And he started off knowing how to bend air because that's his native element. That's the one that he was raised with and it's the people that he comes from. And it's really important here to discuss how for the characters in the show, often the energy that is required to bend a certain element is somehow bound up with the personality of the character as well. And they discuss this explicitly in a few episodes, but it's also implicit the entire time that Aang is someone who is an airbender, so he is free, he is light, he is someone who is um, immersed in spiritualism and that idea that you can move with things. Whereas someone who is an earthbender is more solid 
and they can be potentially more stubborn yep. and they're someone who has a very strong will they're standing their ground absolutely and the thing that stuck with me is Aang is someone who's just naturally good at everything, right? He's the avatar. He's literally like the one from the Matrix. But he's supposed to be able to learn everything really, really quickly. So he picks up airbending. Or he already has airbending when he starts the show. He picks up waterbending very easily, almost easier than Katara does. Mm. And she gets really frustrated with that because that's supposed to be her thing, which is another thing to do with identity. Remember, this is a kid's show. I was watching this when I was 10. Anyway. When it comes time for him to learn both earth bending and fire bending, he has a lot more difficulty because they clash with his personality in that um, earth and fire are kind of, well, I'll start with earth. Earth is the opposite for him. Yeah, earth is the natural opposite of air. Exactly. So that's the way they describe it in the show. And it's also in terms of his personality, the opposite of his personality. So when he's learning that, we're introduced to the character of Toph, who I could have a six-hour podcast just about why I love her so much, but I won't get too much into it because it's not the point I'm trying to make. Also, as things pop up, I'm just going to like note them as well. I know. Um, such like also a great representation of, of people with disability or living with a disability as well. Absolutely. Like, like Toph as a character is someone who is so capable and, and the essentially the best earthbender ever um and someone who learns or, or invents. In, invents a new form of bending because she's so amazing but she's essentially blind she can't see at all and she takes in the world around her through her feet and there are multiple instances in the show where she like she does two things that are really interesting for a character living with a disability that i think is great for representation firstly she kind of pokes fun at herself fairly often and maybe for her it's a coping mechanism but it's a really nice kind of natural way to be like i am normalizing the fact that we are talking about this and two the second thing is that she often is in scenarios where her inability to see is a disability for her so it's like she there's something that everyone is looking at and it can be to do with the main plot line or something really tiny and she's like I can't see what color that is. Or like, I don't know where you're po- pointing. I could be facing in the wrong direction. Like she's someone who can't see, but she operates and lives as and interacts with the world as a hero, like one of the biggest heroes of the world. And she ends up, you know, being who she is. She's tough. She invents a new form of bending and she helps save the world, but she can't see. What were we talking about? Um, oh, the uh, air being the natural yep. opposite of earth. So earth is the natural opposite for air for Aang. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a while since I've watched it. Um, the other element that he didn't want to learn how to bend, or the, the, actually the one that he didn't want to learn how to bend at all, was firebending. Yeah. So to also provide some context on that, I don't know if it's canon, but uh, generally speaking, um, the avatar is supposed to learn um, the elements in a space in a certain order. Mm-hmm. So for Aang, as the avatar, he's supposed to learn um, air, water, earth, and fire being the last one. Um, but, and then throughout this show, um, because, and there's this, there's this whole other kind of plot device of, or oh, they have to learn, Aang has to learn all of this within a year yeah. because um, Sozin's Comet. Sozin's Comet. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so because of this kind of time constraint, Aang decides that, you know what? I'm not going to learn Earth first. I'm going to take the opportunity 
um, to learn fire. I mean, I have a, a fire bending expert with me. I'm gonna try to learn fire and then everything kind of horribly goes wrong. And, and one of the main instances of it going wrong is he he burns Katara, doesn't he? Yeah. And for him, I, this is what I read into it as a kid. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this was my understanding of the story. And I think this is what makes it a good story is that you can find your own meaning in it. And if you think of the energies and the complementary energies, if you have a fire and you put air on it, it can grow, mm. right? And the way I always thought about this is that Aang is a teenage boy. And as someone who was a teenage boy, and in many ways in my head was a teenage boy, if you think about anger and the manifestation of anger being fire, I always thought about for him, he was raised as a monk, but there was something about if he learned how to be a firebender, which is about the manifestation of like outward energy and anger, and you couple that with air, he then that essentially means that his temper is going out of control and he's hurting the people around him, either you know mentally and emotionally, which is the way I saw it in the world, or in the way that it manifested in the show physically, where he actually burnt Katara by accident mm. because of his actions. And that was because he didn't learn how to earthbend first. He yeah. didn't learn how to be like sure of himself, didn't learn how to stand his ground. He didn't learn those qualities of those element, of that element before he learned how to firebend. And that's why there was so much danger. And essentially what this was telling us as, as um, watchers of the show is that if you want to you know, grow as a person, you need to have multifaceted personalities. You need to put yourself in lots of scenarios where you're learning from different people, even to the point where you have to be learning from someone with a disability. Mm. Like you are taking the time to listen to someone who knows things that you don't. And if you do this out of order, if you try to become a person that you are not, and if you try to do it too quickly, if you change for the sake of change and because of other people's expectations, you're going to hurt the people around you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. It's such a good show. Um, so those were the things that kind of stuck out to me. The blood blending stuff. I think about that all the time. And Aang's journey to learn the different forms of bending. Mm. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of stuff that really stuck with you in themes since what we've been talking about? Um, I wouldn't call it like a life lesson or whatever. Sometimes it's something that I kind of recall as well is that um, throughout the show, um, Aang loses the ability to enter the Avatar state. Yeah. So, to, again, for context, as the Avatar, he has the ability to bend um, all four elements. But then he also has, I guess, this added power uh -huh. of entering into something called the Avatar state, which essentially where he's able to call on his past lives, yeah. and it's essentially a power boost. So anything that he can already do, he gets like, you know times a hundred yeah or, or whatever and also it means that he can bend elements that he hasn't learned how to bend yet yes um but typically when he enters this state though he has no control yeah. of it so uh, it reaches a point where um one he, he he needs to learn how to control the avatar state but two he doesn't know how to enter it anymore and then so he uh, meets um i guess a guru mm -hmm. um and they're, they're over a couple of episodes where Aang has the the problem is is that the energy within his body is blocked and he needs to be able to unblock each of his chakras um and i for me it was it was the these moments of of talking about how to let go of fear letting go of anger um was something um that resonated with me as well yeah. whether or not I, I i took it on as a way to kind of live <laughs> my life probably not but i feel i think 
it's nice as well. Again, going back to the idea of kind of talking about um, big topics and kind of distilling it for something that's uh, that can be understood by young people, which I think is really nice as well. To be able to talk to kids that it's okay to feel fear, it's okay to feel anger, but to not let it control our lives. That's probably a good segue into our last question then about the show and specifically about we what we kind of carry with us after having watched it. Do you think there's anything about the show or about having watched the show that affected or influenced the person you are now as an adult? And if so, how? I would say yes, but how? I do not know. <laughs> what I do know is that, you know, if I ever, um, you know, if I ever grow up to have, have children, I feel like, you know, once they're like, what, seven or eight, <laughs> I'm like, all right, uh, kids, you're going to spend the weekend just yeah. watching the show. Listen, I don't know how to raise you, but you should watch the <laughs> yeah. show. Um, I, I mean, again, the, the show, the show is so, is so wide in yeah. its, in its, in its many different lessons and themes mm. that I feel like there are so many great life lessons you can, you can take away from that show, but to pinpoint one down, it, oh. the thing that stuck with me heaps when it comes to what I think affected me as an adult and what I carried with me after having watched the show is Prince Zuko and his journey over the course of the show. And up until that point in no other show, including from when I watched the show when I was 17. So I don't mean like when I watched it when I was 10. Mm. I mean, all the shows, every piece of media that I had consumed, including books, which, you know, is a whole other episode. That was the first instance that I saw a character who changed, mm. like genuinely changed. And I think a lot of the time in, in media, in text and in stories, it's very obvious when they're trying to do that with a character, like they're trying to set them up a specific way yeah. and then slowly show how they're going to have a redemption arc. Yeah. Whereas with Zuko, from the start of the show, I'm like, that is the villain. And I, maybe it's because I rewatched those first episodes so many times. I was like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm like, this guy is the main bad guy of mm. the show. He is evil. He's trying to kill, kill Aang, who is our best friend. You know, he's this fun-loving guy. He's trying to like kill the water tribe. He's a bad person. And he's always going to be a bad person. His uncle seems pretty cool, but he's like comedic relief. Yeah. And, and Zuko is a bad human being and he's bad to his core. And the way they handle, not only the way that he changes, but also the way they reveal his backstory and the trauma he experienced at the hands of his father, at the hands of the Fire Nation, and the huge weight of expectation on him. For me as a human being, and then as a man watching it, and, and taking it in and living with it in my head now as like an adult operating in the world, I think often it's really easy to assume that people can't change. Mm. And you even internalize a lot of that. If you think, if I've got bad qualities, I've got these things, you live in your head all the time. So you know what your worst th thoughts are. So you're like, man, maybe I'm just a bad human being. Maybe I can never be a good person. But when you look at Zuko, every single odd was stacked against him. Mm. And... He tried to change and failed in the show. So he went back to being evil, but he ended up getting there in the end because he allowed the people around him to help him. And for me, if I'm taking a tangible lesson from that show, it's that no matter how bad of a person I think I might be, I can be like Prince Zuko and I can change. And that's a really powerful thing to be able to take away, I think. 
Ooh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I had one bonus thing to do yeah. when it came to Avatar. I think I'm going to cut it down a little bit and we maybe will not use this in the recording at yeah, all. Yeah. But I've got a list. I'm going to cut some of these out. You're going to see me ruthlessly cut some side characters out of this list. But the main kind of... <laughs> the main kind of gang... Um, Kevin just saw me cut uh, Mai. Yeah. And I'm cutting Suki. What? And I'm cutting Momo. No! And oh, I'm cutting... Momo. That's it. I'm keeping that because those are the characters that we've actually spoken about okay. in this episode. I didn't cut them from any other reason. I freaking love Momo. Um, and you'll see that Up is not even on this list because I just wanted to talk about <sighs> the characters that we have discussed even briefly. And I'm kind of assuming people listening to this, you know, you've watched Avatar or you've at least seen some of it. You know who these characters are. So these are the ones that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. I'm almost thinking of cutting out Sokka. Because we haven't discussed him. Doesn't matter. Okay, I'll keep I'll keep him in, but I'm I was tr- I'm trying not to be ruthless, but I just want to be able to with these list of characters. Yeah. For me, this is like the main crew, bar like some really important people who I've had to cut out. Yeah. For the sake of expedience, I want to be able to rank these, but they're not necessarily being ranked as who are your favorite characters. Oh. I want you to rank them as characters that you feel mm. as a as an adult now reflecting back on having watched this show that you feel acted as the best kind of teachers for you in the way you operate in the world like for our younger selves no you now right, right now uh, right now um which of these characters do you feel like you've learned from the most and mm. i don't necessarily mean like they gave a really good piece of advice or anything i mean that you having watched the way they operate yeah yeah that, that's like something you want to uh, replicate yeah or avoid you're like i don't want yeah, to try yeah. to avoid those mistakes or i've recognized this version of this character in my own personality and i've learned from the mistakes that they've made and i kind of want to operate in a different way yeah and i think i'm doing this because as a pilot i think you can do this for any text you can do this for a story you can do this for a movie a video game you can kind of like think about which characters you internalize as an adult so looking at that list we've got soccer katara so the brother and sister combo from the water tribe Zuko, uh, Prince of the Fire Nation. We've got Aang, the Avatar himself. Toph, our uh, earthbending expert. And Uncle Iroh, who's just like a beautiful human being. The Dragon of the West. The Dragon of the West. Um, So out of those, and if we wanted to try to rank them, I don't think we need to have a list that we both agree on. Yeah. Although we can try to do that if you want. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it will happen naturally. But who... Oh, this is going to be ruthless. Who do you think, for you personally, is at the bottom of the list? At the bottom of the list? Yeah. Okay, okay. So now that I understand where you were going with, the li- with this list, I understand why you got rid of Momo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and Mo- I love you, Momo, but come on. Um, bottom of the list? Bottom of the list. Honestly, I might have to say Aang. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I was going to say the same thing. And... He's the literal main character of the show. <laughs> and, it's, and I think it's a comment not on how he's a bad character, but it's, uh, it's a commendation of how fantastic the supporting cast is. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So it's not to say that Aang is like, you know, not an insightful character, not a, not a useful lens to see the world through. Mm. But I think he, in that bottom spot, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the story of Avatar The Last Airbender is not about The Last Airbender. Yeah. It's about the kind of family he builds around himself. 
so lots to learn from Aang about that kind of journey to find his personality and that personality clashes with the different elements. But I think he's on the lower end. Yeah. All right. Uh, Any thoughts on who's next? Who's, who's above Aang but still oh. kind of low on the list? Uh, well, it's... I mean, I definitely know who the next two are. Okay, tell me. It's going to be the siblings. Sokka and Katara for me. All right. So this is a, a huge question I wanted to ask with the brother and sister. Sokka or Katara higher on the list? Higher on the list. Okay, someone who... Basically a good role model. Yeah, yeah, good role model. Uh, probably Katara would be higher than Sokka. Yeah. For me. I, I think Sokka often was used as... Comedic relief. Comedic relief. He did have his own really important arcs though. Yeah. He had really heartfelt arcs. He's also, because we haven't talked about him enough, I feel, he's the only non-bender on uh, yes. this list. Yeah. So he's someone who cannot waterbend or bend anything. But he becomes essentially like an army general mm. by the end of the series. And he's, he's a kid. Yeah. And it's a really nice allegory, not even an allegory, but an example of how like young people often in, in real history are put in scenarios where they have to take a leadership role. Yeah. And he does that and he friggin' nails it. Like he's mm. not a bad general. He's a smart man and he makes good decisions that saves people's lives. Yeah. And he is one of the bravest characters on this list because the dude has like a boomerang and that is it. And he puts himself in every single situation that the rest of these like superhumans put themselves in. Yeah. But I think for that, there's nothing really that you learn from that other yeah. than, you know, it's important to be brave, which I'm sorry, Sokka, I'm going to have to put you right above Aang on that one. And Katara above, um, she is someone who for me, like I mentioned before, a really strong female lead in a story and also someone who has her own internal struggles around wanting to be a good waterbender and being jealous of Aang, but also learning to, to manage that and um, still be like a, a huge role model for people. And I know we haven't talked about Legend of Korra, but her like legacy mm. as a character is super interesting. So definitely Katara above Sokka. Yeah. Uh, do you have someone in mind for the top of the list? I think we're, I think we're going to be choosing the same one. I, I actually don't know. Really? I'm, I'm doubtful if we're going to choose the same one. Because my top my top is the top that's on the list right now. Really? Yeah. No, it has to be Iroh, man. After everything you talked about. I know. I think, I think the thing that I'm struggling with with Iroh is that in the show, he, from the beginning... And barring his flashback stuff, was already the character that he was going to become. Mm. He was the, he's obviously the oldest character of all these. Um, he's an old man. He's like, what, in his 60s or 70s? And he's lived this really full, really rich life. And he has all these lessons to teach. But you don't go through a journey with him. No. no. You, you, you get all this wisdom from him. And you really admire him as a character. But the lessons that you learn from Iroh mm. are through Zuko. Which is why I think Zuko needs to be the top of the list for me. So, wait. So, if you had Zuko as your top and Iroh as your second, would you have Iroh as your second? I would have Iroh as my second. Okay. So, that's fair enough. Because for me as well then... Oh, wait. Who would I have second? Because I would go... Zuko, I, Iroh. Then I would go Zuko, top. Iroh, and then Toph underneath Iroh, but above Ooh, Katara. For me, it would be Iroh, Toph, then Zuko. You would put Zuko under Toph? Yeah, because we were talking about because I think you've 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 somewhat changed the parameters of this activity. Yeah. All right. Because initially, I believe you said that you know 
who which one of these characters do you feel like you 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 can learn from or, mm-hmm. or characters that you you would wish you could emulate and for me I, the reason why i i would have top second was and maybe for her it's it's a, like a a coping mechanism but her kind of like outstanding uh, kind of belief in herself her, her confidence mm. in herself her ego is like oh i wish i could have like you know um a belief in myself as Toph believes in herself. You she, know? she is really admirable as a, as a person, even outside of disability. She's someone who's like really, really inspiring because she never tries to be anyone else other than herself. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and she does show vulnerability at times, but even in those moments, she's, it's not done in a way that feels like forced. Yeah. It's just, she's a human being like anyone else. She's just a really strong human being yeah. in, like, in terms of her willpower. And I think for me, maybe because we are such complete opposites, right? Maybe that I feel like with Toph, that's something I could, I wish I could kind of pull from if it were possible. Yeah, so that makes incorporate sense. Incorporate into my own life. So, so that's for me. So of course, you know, we are two uniquely different human beings, but now it's okay if we have different answers. <laughs> Can also, to be fair, like 50% of our answers are the same. Yeah, before we before we finalizing the list, my question for you is: if it was just you making this list, yep. Tough would be number one. Is that what you're no, saying? No, 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 Iroh. Right. See, I'm still having trouble reconciling Iroh above above Zuko because I could be convinced that Tough is above Zuko. But I don't know if I could be con- convinced that Iroh is above oh, Zuko. Oh, I'll be like trading now. That you'll put you'll put top on top if I put Iroh beneath, <laughs> beneath Zuko. Is some sort of political political so charade? You, you would go you would go um, Iroh top Zuko. Yeah. Is that right? What do you have an argument against Zuko? Against because um, I feel like I made my case pretty hard for him before. Is there anything about him that didn't resonate with you? Because for me, Iroh and Toph, they both were like they're such amazing characters, and they stuck with me heaps. Just Zuko stuck with me more. Um. It's kind of like what we said at the beginning about, you know, characters making decisions we don't agree with, but we understand that's just, that's a facet of their character, right? Yeah. It's not a necessary um, indication of bad writing. But that being said, Zuko has made so many silly decisions. Oh, right? 100% So he like, has. even with him trying to rectify that, I, I, I cannot uh, come to terms with that. Right? So for me... Yeah. I, I guess my, my thing for that is he single-handedly brings the culture of the fire nation back into the fold of the rest of the world i feel oh like he as a leader right outside of the stupid decisions he made as a kid like you think about the the whole nation having just fought a war you know sozin's comet comes and um ang and the fire lord uh ozai is that his name ozai yep oh my gosh i can't believe these things it's seriously been years since i've watched this (laughs) anyway um like they have their battle and that doesn't mean that everything is like suddenly okay again. But if Zuko wasn't the person that he was and Ozai was defeated and Zuko was still this like bitter prince trying to gain his his like his position back, then he would have just been another Ozai. Mm. And it would have been the same cycle all over again. And there would have been more bloodshed and more hurt, but Zuko stopped that from happening. And there's an argument to say that the reason why is because Iroh helped influence him to be that way. Mm. But in the end, all the characters have a sense of agency over their actions. And he's the one who was like, no, I want to be better. I'm going to be better. Yeah. And then he ends up being better. You make a very convincing argument, Mr. Hafter. It's more compelling if we try to come up with a list we both agree with. 
<laughs> okay, so you're saying you you would be happy with Toph, Zeko, and an Iroh. Would you? I, I, I feel bad putting Iroh so low. So what what would you have? Zuko, Iroh, Toph. Zuko, Toph, Iroh. Yeah, I think I would put Iroh third. As bad as I feel, I would move it to be Toph in second position, mm. Zuko in first, and Iroh in third. Okay, I maybe I put too much um, stake into like character growth and change. Yeah. Because I feel like it's harder to write and harder to write genuinely. And for me, looking at Toph, she doesn't really change. You're constantly changing the parameters of this activity. <laughs> this is not this is not supposed to be who who's gone through <laughs> the most growth as a character. You literally rewind the tape, Future Bilal. All right. <laughs> you said that who would you want to emulate? Who do you think is a kind of a good figure to? Um, well, I, I specifically said it's not who you think you would emulate. It's whose lesson kind of you watching them did you take with you the most? Yes. Yeah. His lesson, right? Not this, that I, I would argue that differs from a character journey or character. So, so do we both agree that we're talking about um, what less, like the lesson that we learn from the character, that's what we're judging this on? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So with that, what lesson, so your lesson from Toph is that uh, she is someone who was very sure of herself, mm. had this strong willpower and strong sense of self, and she was um, not stubborn, she was confident. Yeah. And she was confident in a really healthy way, despite the, her difficulties, despite the things that she struggled with as a character all, all throughout her life. She's someone who was confident. And that's the lesson that you want to learn from her, is mm. that you can be that way despite external factors. And for me, the Zuko lesson is that you regardless of the mistakes that you have made and regardless of the expectations around you that are making it hard to be a good person, you can choose to be a good person. I think that can also apply. I'm bringing back, I'm bringing Iroh back into the fold. <laughs> if you think about it, there, here is this man, you know, who has grown up with this, you know, maybe similar to Zuko, this, this complete belief that his, his country is right. Yeah, right? that everything he does is 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 justified. Yeah, you know, but what happens? He uh, loses his son. Yeah, he gets, and I could be wrong here. I might need to be fact checked. But he gets, oh yeah, no, he gets the throne stolen from him from his brother. Yes, he does. Right? I, I think there is like subtext at least there where he doesn't want it. Yeah. So like he, after, his brother yeah. steals it but he kind of is like after i lost my son mm. i don't care about your status mm. like i want to move on um and and for me i think the the lesson with iroh here is that he, he he doesn't get over his son's death yeah right he he understands that this is kind of like his new way of life and we 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 know for a fact that he still carries this pain and suffering yeah. within him through the episode the 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 tales of Barsing Say, all right? Yeah. The tale of of Iroh, and we learn that he carries. He's throwing hurt. out the big guns. He carries <laughs> this hurt in him every single day. Yeah. But despite that, no, he's not making. He doesn't have this conflict within him like Zuko. He has to think about being good. No, Iroh knows that despite this hurt within him he decides the best way to honor his son's memory is to live out his life as best as possible for helping his nephew 
helping out strangers that he meets in Basing, so helping the little kids yeah. to 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 uh, face their fears, helping the mugger that tried to mug him, <laughs> teaching him how, how to mug properly. Mm. Oh or, my god, I forgot about that <laughs> scene. Yeah, or even like before before um, the the their paths truly cross when Iro and Toph met. Yeah, on, on a road, you know. I think the lesson. The premise of which this this activity is is built upon. <laughs> Alright. The lesson we take away from these characters, I think Iroh has the more um more important lesson um to take away. And that is that you can get prison jacked if you really need to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, he is a, a fitness inspiration, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, well, that was, uh, that was inspiring, Kevin. That was impassioned. Um, that was genuine. Yeah. I, I, I think it, and it totally did come across as genuine. Like I think for, for Iroh, he's definitely like when you compare him to Zuko, he is someone who's obviously lived a longer life and a more compelling life and someone who has had to make harder decisions every day. And Zuko, as difficult as his life was in the short term, um, and I know we're not taking into account him as an adult, but like he, he lived this like really tumultuous um, adolescence and he learned a really important lesson. And then he was like, you know, fine, essentially for the rest. Like he, he helped build the Fire Nation into a point where it was respectable again and it could interact with um, other nations. And there's arguments to be made for that being really difficult, but we don't see any of that. <laughs> Whereas for Iroh, exactly like you said, he lived to be an adult who was essentially on the throne and he had this really clear idea of what his life was going to be like and what was right and what was wrong. And then as an adult, he changed, which if you take my argument that I was making before about change into account, then Iroh is more inspiring. Okay. So where does this leave us now? Here's my thing. Yes. Zuko or Iroh need to be first. Oh, okay. Because for me, it's the same reason in both. And you now, you've convinced me that Iroh needs to be higher than Zuko because he's had a more compelling journey. He has a better lesson to learn. Maybe for me, I kind of carried the lesson of Zuko better because of my individual experience with the show. But you are right in that Iroh is a more overall fleshed out character over the course of his life. So I think Iroh needs to be above Zuko. Okay, okay. I am willing... Um to retract Toph uh-huh. from the second position to third and move it to third if we have Iroh at the top. So our final list, Bilal. Wait, wait, wait. Will. But before we read it out, oh, no. yes. you know what I thought you were going to say? What? I know I shouldn't give you this point, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I was happy to concede that Toph comes second. <laughs> what? What? Because for me, the representation around... Um, the, the lessons that I learned from Zuko and Iroh is now reflected in Iroh being in first place. And if you found Toph to be as compelling and as interesting and as important a character to you, and I think that makes sense for us to have her in second position, not in third. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like, I know I was going to get away with it, <laughs> but... Um, you are a, an honourable uh, individual, but... Well, says your face. Um, I think Toph in second, if I look and compare her to Zuko, Zuko, like I said, definitely went through a really interesting change and um, is a lesson I carry with me a lot. 
Patof is someone who lived a harder life than Zuko. Mm. Like she really, really did. Like she was raised by moles, you know, and she was and is blind. And she lived such a long and interesting life. And she never wavered from who the person she was, was. Mm. And, and Zuko did and came back, but he needed Iroh to put him in that place where both Iroh and Toph in first and second position didn't necessarily need anyone, yeah. but found people who were important to them. Like Toph didn't go, I don't need anyone. And I'm just never going to talk to someone. She stuck with the gang. You mm. know, she stuck with Sokka and Katara and Aang because Aang in our bottom position, <laughs> because she recognized that family was important to her. Mm. And both Iroh and Toph realized that and kept those important people around them and they were still with their fantastic selves where Zuko needed a bit more guidance so I'm happy for him in third position will you do us the honours yes so the final list from bottom to top from least influential to Kevin and I's life um, to most is bottom position Aang in sixth place and in fifth place Sokka fourth place is Katara Third place is Prince Zuko. Second place is Toph. And in first place is Uncle Iroh. I can't believe that took us like half an hour (laughs) to come up with that list. (laughs) Uh, It's a pretty solid list. Um, I think that's it, Kel. I think that's it. Uh, Maybe before we we, uh, uh, jump off, uh, watch Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, 100% recommend it. If we do another episode of this in future, I kind of think we could do two things. We could, if we continue this pilot, um, do a deep dive into the plot of Avatar The Last Airbender, which we kind of touched on a little bit, but I think there's so many individual arcs that are really interesting that I would probably need to rewatch the show to remember. Mm. Or we can do this same thing for Legend of Korra. Um, there's also a lot of graphic, comic... Uh, yep. What did I call uh, Graphic, graphic novels. Graphic novels, sorry, yes. A lot of graphic novels. And also recently, and I don't know if you heard this news yet, um, but there is now Avatar Studios. Yeah, so they're apparently going to make another narrative set in the Avatar universe. Yeah. And so, I don't think there's any extra details on top of that, but I'm really light. excited to see what, what that would be. Uh, if we wanted to make quick predictions as to what we think that it will be, do you reckon it's... Because I don't know what details have been released so far. Mm. All I know is that it's set in the universe. So are you assuming it's after Legend of Korra? So, as I understand, the rumors are is that it's before Legend of Korra. Oh. But after, uh, so the period after Avatar: The Last Airbender, leading mm. up to the Legend of Korra. So everything in between, like um, how Republic City was established and kind of everything. All oh, right. I sometimes I feel really conflicted about prequels in that unless it has a really individual interesting story to tell which I have confidence that they'll be able to do if mm. they have a similar team and similar writers I kind of feel more confident to continue a narrative and I don't want to rehash old ground and I know there's a lot that was missing in that interim but so much happened in Legend of Korra that yeah. I'm like I don't want to have to go back I, w- I want to know what happens next Yeah. but you know I, I feel like if any studio can do it well hopefully they can Thank you.